Good morning, everybody. As a, I'm going to start a timer real quick because I come from preachers, and so, man, I could go up here all day, so I'm going to turn that on real fast. But good morning. My name is Josh. As Philip mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking and I was about Colossians. Today. I was tasked with the honor of continuing our uh, sermon series in Colossians. We're discussing all of who Jesus is and how there's nothing we can really add to that. There's nothing we can do in addition to that. And so this week, I'm kind of almost like a little nervous because we're kind of like at the apex, the crescendo of Colossians, if you would say. It's kind of early in the book. It's what Paul's going to use to make sense of every other part of the book. Let me tell you a little bit why. Last week, Pastor Peter talked about the knowledge of God and how that produces a fruit that is pleasing to God. Now, he said, obviously, if we don't have an accurate knowledge of God, we won't produce fruit that's pleasing to God. He compared it to identity theft by saying that sometimes we kind of can steal Christ's identity and then make, you know, kind of transactions that he doesn't approve of. We left it there. And the reason for that was because this week, Paul, the author of Colossians, is going to start constructing exactly who that God is. Now, that's a big deal. Let me tell you why. Because the question that we were looking at last week was, well, how do we produce a fruit that's pleasing to God? Well, it's by knowing God. This week, we're going to examine how knowing God answers the questions that kind of come from our, our existence, our meaning. Specifically, who am I? And what's my purpose? Now, it's from this place that Paul's going to go ahead and, and, and start describing who Jesus is. So I want to kind of jump into that. If you would open your Bibles, if you have them, if you're an OG with a paper Bible, if you could open that, we're going to go to Colossians chapter one. Okay. And we're going to read verse 15, verses 15 through 22. And if you would stand to your feet in honor of God's word with me today, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. All right. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. As you're being seated, uh, if you would join me in prayer. Father, we love you today. We worship you today. We worship you for who you are. We worship you for what you've done. Father, open our minds and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. Empty me of anything uh, that may work opposed to you, God. Let me be clear to speak what you would have for us today. Father, reveal yourself to who you decide to reveal yourself to today. Open eyes, open hearts here today. We love you, we thank you, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So, um, I want to kind of like jump into this text and start like going in and digging in on it, but there's a little bit of context that we need to set beforehand, okay? Now, the Colossian church, these guys understood that there was a little bit of a meaning to life, okay? It was more than just survival, it was more than just passing on your genes. 
It was more than that. And they understood that that meaning had to be derived from something somewhere. Okay? It's kind of like the concept of like, if a tree falls in the woods, does anyone know it fell, right? Does it make a sound? That's kind of alluding to the fact that in order for anyone to know the tree had an impact, it depended on something else. It depended on something that may or may not have been there. And in that same way, the Colossians understood this meaning of life, this impact that life can have. It has to depend on something. It can't just be kind of come out of nowhere. So they had an understanding that there was a deity and that this deity was intrinsically involved, intimately involved in their lives, that deity being Jesus. And this is where they kind of start to digress off the path a little bit. They kind of get it a little muddy here, okay? Because that muddiness comes from them believing that there was something they needed more than God. And that's where this book is actually written. The book of Colossians was written in response to this belief that had infiltrated the church that they needed something more than Jesus to find meaning purpose, salvation, something more than Jesus had to be found in order for them to achieve that, in order for them to attain that, for completeness to be found in those areas. So Paul writes in response to this thought that's happening in the church. Now, some of you guys are like, what does that have to do with me? Well, if you really think about it, that doesn't, you know, that actually it does fit pretty well in in what we experience today. It parallels a lot of what we, in fact, go through. The fact is, every person in this room, from the smallest to the biggest, wants to know the meaning of their lives. Not a single person in here is like, oh, dude, you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter. My life is pointless. And if you are in that position, I guarantee you're hurting inside. There's some pain there. Every single person here wants to know the meaning of their lives. Now, all of us try to derive that meaning from different places, okay? We all try to get that meaning from different avenues. And, and I, in a room this size, there's somebody in here, there's maybe a few of you in here that are like, dude, it was just one big accident, right? There was a bang somewhere, cosmic dust, big rocks hit each other, planets, molecules, water, little creature, fish, fish, ape, ape man, snowball of progress. That was probably a bad description. I'm, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I, I'm not a scientist, guys, but... You know, snowball of progress that's kind of pointless and going nowhere. And we're just, our aim is to survive, thrive, right? Beat my chest, show my strength, survival of the fittest. Some of us in here may think that's the the point of life. Now there's others that are like, you know, hey, you know, we're all connected, man. You know, like I got that Lebowski dude thing going there. So, uh, you know, we're all kind of interconnected, man. And I don't, I don't know why, but it's all love and joy and peace, man. There's that kind of vibe, right? But... Then there's like this other side. There's like a religious side to this thought too. Okay, that religious side is like, yeah, there's there's a God and I want to invite him in. But in reality, what I really need to complete my meaning in life are these things, right? Like money, success, house, car, bay, right? Like I need these things to, to make my life complete, to bring it true meaning, and then there's a third camp that's like, dude, I don't know what to believe. I don't know. I hear all of this. I don't know what's going on. I just want to live a good life. And I hope my life has some kind of impact. And if there's such place as heaven, I hope I live a life good enough to get there. The only thought, the only factor that all of these notions kind of exclude is the factor of a creator. And not just a creator, 
but a creator that's intimately, intricately involved in the life of its creation. All of these thoughts that I just presented, they they exclude that huge fact, that huge factor. Now, the Colossians were actually maybe in like a little better spot than some of us today. Because they at least knew that this thing existed, right? Like this Jesus was there. He was intricately involved. Their only issue was, do I need more than him? Maybe I need more than him. Maybe he's not enough. Maybe what he's done isn't enough. And Paul's response to this is just beautiful. It's just glory. It's the prime example of how we as Christians can respond to these moments of doubt, to doubt from others. His response by no means was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Let me think about it. Let me think about what you're saying. He was like, no, 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 no. Um, you think that simply because you don't know God. That, that's why you think that. You think you need something more than him because you don't know him. That's the point. Because if you knew him, if you knew all that he is and all that he's done, you would understand that there's nothing, no one, anything, anyone that could possibly add on to what he's already given. You would know that. There would be no questions about what's my meaning or no questions about what's my purpose or no questions about what's the direction of my life because it's all wrapped up in who he is. So that's where we start today. We kind of start pulling these questions out and finding their meaning from who he is. And that's the argument Paul's going to build. Now, I want to look at two specific questions today. The first I want to look at is, who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Who am I? Okay. Now, the second question I want to look at is the question of, what's my purpose? Why am I here? And these are questions that every single heart, every single mind, every single soul wrestles with at some point. And more than likely, they're questions that fuel the rest of what we do. There's people in here that think, man, well, like, you know, if I could only be a doctor. And that's like a great thing, right? I'm not hating on doctors. Like, praise God for Thaddeus Evan Brown back there, all right? That's what I'm saying. All right, Dr. Brown, I'm coming to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I praise God for doctors, but that's not the point. But we all kind of hinge what we're going to do based on what we believe our purpose is and who we believe we are. So this is where I want to start. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start back at 15. We're going to read 15 and 16, and we're going to talk about this first question, who am I? He is, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All right, so if we're going to examine first the question of who am I, then we have to first examine where I came from, where you came from. And if Jesus, if this creator, if this deity made everything, then we have to learn first who he is in order to understand who we are. So let's start with who Jesus is from this text. Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. This is huge. This is huge. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus says no one has seen the Father. No one has seen God. Why? Because he's invisible. And so a question had arisen during the day, and it's a question that persists even now. Well, how do we see God? Show me proof for God. And see, in time, people were like, well, let's, how do we tangibly see God? Well, maybe there's like these characteristics of God, right? So that's where people start pulling out words like virtue and wisdom and morality. They start pulling these words out to try to find how an invisible God can be tangible in a material world. But Paul's response to this question of like, well, where's God? Because it was a pertinent question then, a pertinent question now. He was like, Jesus, you want to know what God looks like? Jesus. You want to know what God says? Jesus. You want to know what God thinks? Jesus. You want to know God, how God feels? Jesus. You want to know his actions? Jesus. Anything you want to know about God is there because he is the image of God. He is God with us. This, this word that was used for image is a word in Greek called icon. And that word literally meant that the, it was used to reference a stamp that was imprinted with Caesar's bust on like government seals so that when they sent the stamp or the, you know, the, the letter somewhere, they would receive an exact imprint of the stamp for that, it was, that was used to emboss it. The exact thing. That's why the writer of Hebrews was able to say he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Now that can, that can kind of, some of us can be like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, Jesus is the image of God. He is the revelation of God. He's God with us. That's pretty neat. I want us to take a moment and think about what that means. Think about that woman at the well. Where God is like, oh, you've had all kinds of husbands. The one you're with now ain't your husband. And you're thirsty. Not like thirsty, like that thirsty, but you know, <laughs> thirsty isn't like thirsty. But you're thirsty and I can see it. And I, no matter what you've done, I want to give you water that will let you thirst no more. What about that woman, that adulterous woman, right? Where she was going to get stoned and then he was like, no, 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 no. Woman, who, who here condemns you? No one, neither do I. Get up and sin no more. What about when he was getting crucified? And he cries out, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If this Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he's the revelation of who God is, look at how merciful, gracious, loving, forgiving our God is. That's how big of an impact understanding Jesus is the image of God <laughs> has on our lives. It reveals who God is through who Jesus is. Now, as we begin to intricately understand that, that he's God, it, it begins to play a role in, in the fact that, well, if he's God, that means he created things. Because if we believe God created things and then Jesus is the image of God, then the natural kind of next phase is like, then he must have made things, right? Like he must have been the one that created things. So let's take a, a, a second to look at that. Like, what, well, what did he create? Well, according to the text, he created everything. He created every single thing. Look, I'm going to just read it real fast. If we go to 16, for by him, all things were created. All things in heaven and on earth, visible, 
invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, it was all made by him. He, Jesus, made it. Now let me ask you a question, because this is where the gaze starts to get brought back to us a little bit. Are you a part of all things? It's not a trick question. You can say yes. You know, like it's not a trick question. You are, in fact, a part of all things. So that means, according to what we've read, Jesus made you. Jesus made me. He made all things, so he made us. What does the Bible say about that? Well, in Psalm 139, the Bible says that he intimately crafted us in our mother's womb. In Psalm, it talks about, the book of Psalms, it talks about how we're the, the crowning glory of his creation. That, that's what it means. Even if we go back to the book of Genesis, where it describes how God creates everything, he looks at man and says, well, this I want to make in my image. The lion can be the lion. The bird can be the bird. But this man will make it in our image. Now, that's different than when I read earlier that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's different. We're made in his image. Jesus is his image. In fact, Jesus is the image that we were patterned after. If he's the image of God and God made man in his likeness, then God had to look at himself and his image, Jesus, and say, well, we're going to make him like that. In his image, in, in God's image. As we begin to see how intimately we're connected to God in our creation and who we are, the identity he's given us through his own image, it starts to reveal a little bit, why, a little bit of the reason why we're here. And that's kind of the next place we want to go. The next question, what's my purpose? As we begin to understand who I am, I'm made in the image of God, I'm, I'm loved and cherished by him in creation, that begins to reveal a little bit of why I'm here. What's my purpose? Um, well, let's take a look at Colossians. We're going to go to 16 through 18 again. Let's take a look at this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So why are we here? Why am I here? Why are you here? What's our purpose? Well, according to the text, we're made through him then everything is made for him. Everything is made through him. He's at the beginning, declaring everything into existence. It wasn't a mistake. You are not a mistake. And you just want to stop there and have you really ponder that if God made everything intentionally through himself, that means when you were made, you were not a mistake. And if everything was made for him, then you don't have to search for a purpose 
You have it. You were made for God. Not a mistake. You have a purpose. You were made for God. You were made for him. This, this word for has a double meaning in our text. It, it's saying that, yeah, it was made for the reason of God, right? Like I was made for God. But it also has this double meaning where it's saying that everything is made unto God. So he puts out at the beginning and he stands at the end. Just waiting for it all to get back to him. Not that he's waiting, but he's at the beginning, he's at the end. It's kind of what builds this thought of like God being alpha and omega, the beginning, the end. He's eternal and, and we, we have him in the now, we have him at the beginning, we have him at the end. It, it builds this, this, this idea that God is everywhere. Things were made for him. Now, in what way is it made for him? In what way is creation made for him? In what way are you made for him? How? Because that could do mean a lot of things. And like what we talked about last week, we can easily use the knowledge we think we have of God to go do things that God really wouldn't say yes to. He wouldn't thumbs up. So in what way are we made for God? Well, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. It says that the skies speak of his worthiness of his handiwork that day to day speaks out that means every single day that passes and every new sun that comes up just the day passing says look at how merciful and good he is every night that passes speaks of more knowledge it has more knowledge every night that passes through we understand more that god is still in control that god is still all-powerful so creation the trees the skies everything out there declares of how glorious god is But what about us? Isaiah 43 says that God is calling from the south and the north and the east and the west. All of his children. All of his children. Hey, but if the Bible app is going off, that means you went there. Okay? And I'm happy about that. All right? So, but Psalm, uh, not Psalm, that was what the Bible app said. Um, Isaiah 43 says that God's calling all of his children from the north, south, east, and west that he created for what reason? For his glory. All my children are coming to me from the north, south, east, and west. I'm unbarring them so they can all come to me. All of them that I've made for, his, for my glory, God's glory. That's the reason you and I were created. Now, notice that in the text we read, I'm not trying to offend you, but the text didn't say, and all things are made through him and for you. You get get what I'm saying here? All right, so not all things weren't made through him and for you. And a lot of times that's how we perceive life. Any single person that's married in here, which I see a couple, knows that this can be the tendency of our mind. Right, like instead of seeing my wife as this holy, beautiful woman, that gift from God that God has given me so that I can become more like him, I'm like, yeah, man, like, no, she completes me. Just think about that statement for a second. What I don't have, she gives me. What I'm missing, I get from her. So now anytime I'm missing something, I can be like, what's your deal? Why aren't you doing this for me? Y'all, y'all ever need to talk about this? Mr. Glenn's the man to talk about. Anyway, I had to just throw it out there, okay? Um, but think about how we can view that, right? We can start viewing the world as though we're the centerpiece of the whole thing. That the tree was made so that I could breathe. 
The tree wasn't made to give God glory in seeing that, man, look at how majestic it is that I breathe out this like dioxide kind of thing. What is it? Carbon dioxide? And that breathes it in and it breathes out oxygen and I breathe that in. We just have like this little back and forth. Think about how glorious that is for God. No, some of us are like, that tree's there for me. That tree's there so I can breathe. But the text doesn't say all things are created through him and for me. Text says that everything, the tree, me, the sky, the car, the bird, the cow, the stake, the building, the rain, the sun. It was all made so that we could stop and say, look at how majestically beautiful this God is. How many of us view the world that way? How many of us view the world that way? Now, he is not just, uh, we're made for his glory. And, and, and the reason we're made for his glory is, the reason my life has more meaning than just consuming and being like that tree is meaningful is because he's over it. Can, I put that, can we put the uh, verse, I think it's 18 up? He's over it. You see, he's over the church. He's over my life. He's over, he is over the beginning of creation. He's over death. He's over everything. And with him in the place of being head and over everything, my life all of a sudden has new meaning. It can't just mean that I enjoy the steak and go, man, that was good. Now give me another. It can't just be a selfish ambition of getting everything I can get and moving on with my life. It has to have something more because now it's not about me. It's about him. The church can't just be about getting a bigger building. Why? Because it's about him. Death can't be about just being sorrowful. Why? Because it's about him. He's over it. He's above it. He's in control of it. He's supreme over it. Death has lost its sting. Everything that we look at, God is not just involved in, but he's over it. He's supreme above it. Our lives, our experience, everything. And this is the reason why our lives tend to have meaning. Now, here's the deal. He didn't just kind of like make the creation, like slap it on its butt and go, like, go glorify me. <laughs> right? That's not what happened. Right? It wasn't like the washing machine, right? Where you like just put the clothes in the washer, turn it on, and I'll be back when they're clean. You know, it didn't happen that way. God didn't just like make the creation, go do it. No, no, no. There, there's an intimacy there. That's why in the, the middle of uh, the end of verse 17, it says, and in him, all things hold together. He didn't just start and go, hey, man, go take care of that for me. He said, no, I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. I'm going to hold it all together. If I withdrew my desire for this word to exist, it would just fall apart. But I didn't just make it and send it on its way. I'm I'm intricately involved in it. And and that, that life experience that we have now begins to take on a little more meaning as well. Because if he's intricately involved in it, if he's in the middle, not just the beginning and the end, but he's holding everything from place to place, from glory to glory, then all of a sudden, when I was hurt and I felt rejected and I felt pain and sadness and I felt the cringe of losing someone that I love or I felt the sting of being lied to, that means all those things we're being held by him too. And you see, 
it's those very things that for some of us are keeping us from giving ourselves over to this God. The very things that he's holding in his hand, that he desires to make sense out of in our lives, those are the very things that are, that are keeping us, that are causing this pain, this, this, this gap that says, I don't know if I want really something to do with that God because of what I've experienced. Because I'll, I'll be transparent. What I just laid in front of you, if we're honest, when we step out those doors, it's not what we're really going to experience all that much. I just sat up here and told you, man, you're special. You're valued. You're made in God's image. You're treasured. You're the pinnacle of his creation. He made you in his image to be knit close to him. And the response from some of you was like, but I don't feel special. But I don't feel valued. I don't feel cherished. I don't feel those things. Your purpose is to glorify God. You go out there and you just glorify him, right? You eat a steak and it's like, yes. I don't know why I keep going back. Maybe I'm hungry. I don't know. But you're supposed to go out there and glorify him. And some of you guys are like, well, I don't, I don't feel like I do very many things that bring God glory. And, and a part of me is like, yeah, no, you're, you're right. You don't probably, a lot of you guys, a lot of us in here don't feel special. A lot of us in here don't feel like we're doing very much to honor and glorify God. I kind of built up this, this big, like, check all these things out because kind of wanted to come to the end and be like, but that's not the way it is. And the Bible gives us an explanation for the reason of why that doesn't seem to be the way it is. See, in God's perfect design, God's perfect intention, everything was going to move in this direction that glorified him. Everything was going to move in this direction that man in the Garden of Eden, the beginning of creation, like Adam and Eve, they all knew like, yeah, man, like I'm, that's God. I'm naked and ashamed because I'm holy like his and he's holy mine. I don't have to worry about trusting my spouse because like they're in relationship with God and I'm in relationship with God and he's at the center of everything we do. So I can just be like naked and unashamed and I have dominion over the world, right? I can like look at the lion and be like, sit. And he's like a puppy, man. Dude sits. And, and I, this is just like, this is the way it was supposed to be. Look how beautiful this is. And, and in that world, these two descriptions of who am I and why am I here make perfect sense. They make absolute perfect sense in that world. But the sad part, the saddest chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 3, reveals that we don't live in that world. You see, a lot of our experiences are hurt. Um, They're caused by what the Bible would describe as our, our sin. Our sin. And the Garden of Eden gives this description that, that God made on the sixth day. He made man. And he was like, man, that is really good. And he went back and he rested on the seventh day. And in that time, right after that in Genesis 3, we have the description of like this serpent coming in and tempting Eve. And God said, don't eat from this tree. And, and then they eat from this tree, right? And in that moment, when they disobey God, they separate themselves from him through their sin through their sin. And now, this identity of being made in God's image and cherished by him and close-knit to him is fractured. 
this purpose of going out and declaring how good he is from the trees to the stake to the building to the whatever, uh, it's now it's gone. And now all of a sudden, this purpose is replaced when, when in Genesis chapter 3, God's like, no, woman, you're going to just hurt when you give birth. You're just going to hurt now. And man, you're just going to have to plow that ground for what you get from him. Because when you separate yourself from me, the effects of sin become death. And so now, man, from dust you've come, and from dust you will return. So death enters the picture. Hurt enters the picture. Pain enters the picture. Betrayal enters the picture. And the thing is, it's not like the forces of nature that are doing it. It's, it's me. It's, it's us. Does God designed the world to be filled with, with truth, with the truth of who he is. That's why we could glorify him, because the truth of who God is, what Paul is describing in this text, would be just rampant across creation. But now... We could do something easy, like Ten Commandments, and do like raise your hand if you've told a lie, and like everyone would raise their hand. And if God designed a world to be filled with his truth, and I fill it with a lie, then now I'm working against God. If he designed you and me to be cherished and valued, knit in his image, intricately and intimately, and then I treat my neighbor as though he doesn't mean anything. He has no value or meaning. Now I'm actively working against God. So this design, this, 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 this thing that I was supposed to be, where I knew that I was made in the image of God and valued and cherished, and I had purpose for my life to glorify him in everything that I did and to be satisfied by him is broken in a moment before I could even do anything about it through this nasty sin thing. So now my identity is lost. My purpose is kind of like up in the air. Is that where we, we end though? Is this our, our kind of snowball of purposeless advancement? This is where Paul finishes his statement. Let's go back. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19 here and said, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself. I reconciled? No. He reconciled to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He designed the world for peace. I wage war against him. And by his cross, he brings peace back. And you, me, you guys, who were once alienated, separated from God, that sin that separated us, it alienated us, and we who were once alienated and hostile in mind, making war against God and his perfect design, his perfect creation, doing evil deeds by lying in a world that God designed to be filled with his truth, he has now reconciled. He's brought back to himself in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, before God. This text primarily describes who God is and we're able to see who we are through it. 
but then we're so easily able to see that we're not who God has declared us to be. That we've lost that somewhere along the way. But the text is also designed to show us exactly what God has done on our behalf to restore that identity to us. And so now, when I'm lost because of my sin, Christ takes the cross. He lives a perfect life, a life that I should have lived. He has that perfect identity as the image of God. He has that perfect purpose in glorifying God. And so there's no reason death should impact him. There's no reason pain should impact him. There's no reason betrayal should impact him. There's no reason lies should impact him. But he decides in his mercy to take on the punishment of our sin. And he's crushed on the cross. Isaiah says that it was the Father's will to crush him, to make right our story, to restore back your identity, to restore back my identity, to give me the purpose I had again so that in him I would have new life, not like the design before, but this one that didn't depend on me where I was able to accept this gift that Jesus gave me so that he could have preeminence in everything, so that he could be restored to the absolute king over this world. And now, no matter who you are in here, you will glorify God. You will. It's not a question of whether you want to. You can walk out of this place today and say he doesn't exist, he doesn't matter. And at the end of time, you will glorify him by being either a trophy of how we declared, look at the grace of God and look at his mercy in my life, or you will be an object of his justice and glorifying him. So now through his cross, Christ has brought himself to a place of being king over this world without question. In my life, I, uh, my own personal story, this was a struggle for me. I grew up in a, in a church, like a church culture, and it's kind of hard for me to go from like loving Jesus, and, and I was born with, raised with this thought and this purpose in mind, but then the thing became, uh, well, what about me? So I got to college, and uh, someone, I'll be honest with you guys, someone was like, hey man, smoke this. And I was like, I enjoyed that. All things were made for me, right? That was fun for me. And then someone was like, hey man, I'm reading this Plato book. And I was like, this is interesting. So I proceeded forth with that. Before you know it, in my own life, I related so well to this because it was no longer this aspect of like, okay, well, um, there's God and God's enough. It was like, well, I'm not going to lie, man. It's two o'clock and I haven't had, you know, I haven't got my, I need to get out of class so I can go do this. And I'm really interested in what like Plato and Aristotle have to say to this. 
And the meaning of life has to be made by someone. And like Aristotle was really smart, like Nietzsche, that dude was in there, man. These are all philosophers, by the way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in here and I'm like, oh man, this, this makes so much sense. And the whole time I was killing myself. The whole time, everything I desired to grab meaning from kept kind of like crumbling underneath the expectation I put on it. I could be like, man, you know what? If I just try to live the way Nietzsche told me to live, then life is going to be so much better. Wrong. You know, I, I, for some reason, there was never enough pot for me to be happy. Like, I don't, I don't get how that works. But there was never enough of anything to restore the joy that I was missing. And for some reason, my mind kept telling me I needed something more than this God that I had known through my childhood. I needed something more than that. The fact was, revisiting our first statement, it wasn't that I needed something more. It was that I never knew him. And I'll never forget when I was 19 years old. I felt the weight of that sin on my shoulders. I felt the weight of neglecting God on my shoulders. I felt the disappointment of trying to find meaning, trying to find purpose, trying to find salvation in everything that wasn't him. And I'll never forget one day. I was like, man, I'm just going to go to the church and I think I'm just going to pray. And it was there that God introduced himself to me. And in a moment, weed was no longer necessary. Philosophy was no longer necessary. Success was no longer necessary because I had been complete and found whole in God. Today, if that's your place, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and telling you, come to him. Make sense of this experience. Again, he's holding everything in his hands. The very things that have kept you from coming to him are the very things he wants to make sense out of when you do come to him. As only he can. Some of us that are believers, where has our heart strayed? Where have we begun to grasp at air? Searching for something that we could never find outside of God outside of Jesus. You bow your head with me. If there's anybody that's in that, one of those two places, specifically in the place where they know they have not come to the Lord. They have searched futilely to find purpose and meaning, salvation, fulfillment in anything besides him. If you're in that place, but you want to make the decision to know him, to start a relationship with him, would you raise your hand? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. I'm going to pray with us today to be dismissed and to finish this out. Father, we, we love you. We thank you. We praise you today, God. We, um, we worship you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. Father, in the hearts of every individual in here today, Lord, um, I ask that you would do a work, that you would do a work to bring a new creation, not just the restoration of the design you had for us before, but that we would cling to the cross and the gospel of Jesus for a new creation in our lives. 
one that restores our identity, restores our purpose, not by what we've done, but by what you've done in atoning for our sins on the cross. One where we no longer look to ourselves, but we constantly look to you as our God and as our Savior, as our advocate, as our creator, as our friend. I love you today, Lord. I I pray that for the individuals that have made a choice to turn to you and follow you, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to walk with them, that you would surround them. And right now that they would make a decision to come to you in faith. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.